We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media and 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. With me, as always, Justin Mello. And today we're going to talk a little preview for the Titans' mandatory mini camp that starts June 6th. It's June 6th through 8th. This is the time where all the voluntary stuff is over and like we can actually make a big deal about players not being there. Justin, what's going on? Ready to talk some football. Excited to get into it. Mandatory minicamp, as you mentioned, on the horizon. Uh, we got some signing news to discuss. Uh, you've got a, an issue with something you saw on Twitter, I believe, that you want to get off your chest. So we got some good topics to discuss here. Yeah, let's get into all of it. We're going to start off with some news, as you mentioned. Tier Tart, who was tendered as a restricted free agent after the Titans signed him as a UDFA a few years ago, was practicing at the voluntary workouts on some sort of waiver injury waiver thing. He has now signed his tender for over $4 million this season, so maybe a little underpaid for how well he's played in his short time in in Nashville, but also a a pretty good bargain, I mean, for both of them. It's, you know, the restricted free agent tender thing that they don't get to negotiate. They either sign the tender or they don't sign the tender or someone else out there can sign them to a bigger offer sheet that the Titans could try to then match if they wanted to. That is not going to be the case as Tart will play this season on that tender and then we'll see what happens with him going forward. But it's sort of big news, but it's also sort of what we expected to happen all along. Yeah, I mean, it is it is what I expected to happen. It's the only outcome, but it's still news because you follow the timeline of events. They tendered him, I believe it was in early March, and they placed a second-round tender on him, which, as you said, was $4.3 million. You covered it. Essentially, he could either sign that tender or he could try to sign an offer sheet with another team. The, the Titans knew what they were doing. Nobody was going to trade, essentially, a second-round pick for what most people consider to be a nose tackle, right? A two down run stopper. So he, look, he went through all the motions. He changed agents. Tart did in the middle of this hiring Drew Rosenhaus, trying to, you know, get the Titans to negotiate a long-term extension. They held all the cards the entire time. You either sign the tender or you sit out and, and you make nothing, right? Like that's essentially the alternative that he had here. So Good to see this saga come to a conclusion. He signed the tender. He'll play in 2023 for the Titans. He'll earn $4.3 million, um, And then he'll he'll try to reach free agency and, and try to get something bigger, whether that's in Tennessee or somewhere else. It depends on the type of year he has. I, you know, I, I think for him to get the money he's looking to get, he's got to become a better pass rusher. And, and D-line coach Torrell Williams talked about that. I was just about to bring that up. Go for it. Yeah, a few days ago when, uh, when they met with the media, he said he goes, now what, what Tier's got to do is take that next level as a pass rusher. Can he do it? I don't know, in all honesty, and I don't want to sound negative. I, I think he's a terrific player, but I, I have sort of viewed him as more of a run stopper. He's a big boy, right? And he's quick for his size, but he's still a D lineman that's well over 300 pounds. So I, I've never seen a ton of upside um, when it comes to being you know, a double-digit pass rushing guy. I don't think so, uh, but we'll see what he can do. He knows, too. That's what he's going to be working on, right? Because he knows if he wants to take that next step and earn that that contract that he tried to get here in Tennessee this offseason – He's got to take his pass rushing uh, up to another level. 
Yeah, exactly. So we'll see how that works out. It's nice that he's been there the whole time, being a consummate professional, as they say. And uh, now that is wrapped up, so we don't have to talk about it anymore. Another thing we're going to talk about, the Titans have been planning some practices with other teams. So their preseason schedule includes, you know, the Vikings and the Patriots in the second two weeks of the preseason. That's after they play the Bears for the first preseason game. They have now scheduled a joint practice with the Vikings that will probably be in Minnesota because that's where the preseason game is taking place. And it sounds like they're trying to schedule a practice, a joint practice with the Patriots as well, or a pair of you know, a week of joint practices with the Patriots leading into that preseason game, which would presumably be back in Nashville. Um, It's cool. We've seen Mike Vrabel do this pretty much every year. He's been here with joint practices with either one or two teams. We've seen the the Bucks come to town. We've seen the Patriots, you know, practicing with them as well. So um, this is cool. It'll be a fun training camp story to follow, you know, those cornerbacks against Justin Jefferson and those kinds of storylines. But other than that, I don't know. There's not much else to discuss about it in June. Yeah, I will say you typically take more away from these than you do the preseason games themselves, in all honesty. So it's a good thing to do. They've done it with the Patriots in the past. I remember when Tom Brady was down there. And, you know, uh, so, you know, obviously the relationship, I think, between Vrabel and Belichick, I'll be shocked if that doesn't come to fruition. You talked about some of the matchups. I, I like the idea, you know, Justin Jefferson against those corners. I think it's some of the pass rushers, too, because that's where you get some of the big ones. Uh, great tests for guys like Andre Dillard um, and Nicholas petit Prayer. If they get to see guys like Danielle Hunter, they see Matthew Judon with the Patriots. You know, Peter Skoronsky being an, uh, probably an interior guy. Could see a guy like Christian Barmore. Uh, with the Patriots, Devon Gacho, who's a, a really good nose tackle as well for them. So uh, potentially some really good matchups. And, and for the Titans, a good measuring stick of where they are. You know, Vikings were a playoff team last year. Patriots, sort of like the Titans, were just on the outside looking in. They, they play in a much better uh, division in the AFC East. So I think uh, if they can organize that with the Patriots, which I expect they will, they've already got them on the books with the Vikings, be a really good sort of litmus test for them and see where they're at. Yeah, exactly. So that's pretty much it for the news. Um, Unless there's something else you had to get to, stop me if you did. But we are going to move on now and talk a preview here for the Titans mandatory minicamp. It's not that different from what they've been doing. You know, once they, they pass phase two and get into phase three where they're on the field, you know, training as a team and not just doing workouts and stuff. It's kind of the same thing we've been seeing the last couple weeks on Twitter and everything, but the difference is it's now mandatory. Attendance is mandatory, which means players who don't show up can be fined and disciplined in other ways, you know, with playing time or whatever it is. We probably won't see much from guys who are still rehabbing from injury, you know. They may be working inside, so we might not even see them on the field. They may be working off on a side field, but... I think some of the storylines to track are looking at the guys who have not been out there for the voluntary workouts, most notably being Kevin Byard, who I'm expecting to show up. Um, I don't think there's any reason he wouldn't show up. There's no other Titans that are really like in contract disputes or talks or any kind of negotiation that would give anyone any reason not to be there. So anyone who doesn't show up is going to be a major storyline, but I kind of expect close to, if not 100% attendance at this thing. Yeah, I mean, you said it. Kevin Byard's the real big one, right? Because he hasn't been there um, for these voluntary practices in the past few weeks. We know there was this sort of contract-related dispute between the two sides where general manager Rand Carthon confirmed that they asked Byard to take a pay cut. Byard said no. Um, is there anything here? I don't know. Him not showing up to voluntary, a bit curious. But again, because it's voluntary, it's hard to make any wide-ranging opinions uh, you know, from that. 
Uh, but if he doesn't show up to mandatory, boy, that storyline's going to explode, right? It's going to be everywhere. NFL.com will be posting about it. You'll have Ian Rappaport, Adam Schefter tweeting about it, right? Like that thing's going to go everywhere. Um, I'm trying to think of who else was absent. I know Christian Fulton was partially absent and showed up. Like Dina Kowatri will definitely yep. be there. That's when I can essentially, I, I feel comfortable confirming because he he typically skips voluntary, right? He's an old school dude. He knows what he's he knows where his body's at. He knows what he's got to do. He's getting ready. I promise you, they've got no concerns about Dina Quatri's physical condition. I'd be stunned if he didn't show up. He is in a contract year, so if he is trying to talk them into um, an extension, I, I guess it's not totally out of the realm of possibility. But I would be pretty shocked if Dina Quatri didn't show up. Yeah, a few other guys that weren't seen at the latest Titans OTAs. Sean Murphy Bunting, who was there earlier in the voluntary period, so expect him to be there. Caleb Farley's been working back from injury. We don't know if he wasn't there because of rehab or or other reasons. Um, Christian Fulton, you mentioned. Amani Hooker, another guy. Harold Landry is another guy. Sam Okawanu is a guy. Trevon Wesco, and then you mentioned uh, Danico Autry. So we'll see how many so of those guys don't too, show. I think, but wasn't oh, seen, yeah. but... Probably Again, also rehabbing from ACL, the ACL. Rehab. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know if there's anything else to track as far as absences go. We can talk about what we're looking for on the field. But before we get there, you mentioned that I had something to address that you'd seen on Twitter. Now, look, this kind of blew up amongst all the, the big, you know, aggregator accounts that tweet NFL news. And, and this is about Will Levis having what was called a rough day at practice last week. Now, the first thing I want to say about this is... This is really frustrating for me, actually, is that the Titans are only opening these OTA sessions to the media like one out of every three. So all the reports that we're getting about what's happening at practice is one third of the practices. We're not, we're not even getting reports on everything that's happening. Not even Jim Wyatt, the team reporter, is writing, you know, he writes a little like uh, recap, practice recap article every time the sessions are open to the media. When they're not open to the media, we don't get a recap. We have literally no idea what is going on in these practices that are closed. And two-thirds of the practices are closed. So if we're going to make a big deal about Will Levis having a rough day, I know some people were, some of the pro-Levis people were referencing like Patrick Mahomes had a five-interception day as a rookie in, in the off-season program or training camp or something. It's like, oh, see, even the best of the best has a bad day. It's like, yeah, every single human being has had a bad day, you know, when you're, when you're talking about a skill-based job like this. So... Am I making a big deal out of Will Levis having one bad day? Absolutely not. But even more than that, it seems more like people were, were talking about one bad throw that was really making the rounds on Twitter. You know, like Dove Kleinman tweeted about it, NFL Rooms, Rookie Watch, all these accounts that aggregate stories. We're all tweeting about how uh, Will Levis struggled at practice. It seems like it was based on this one rep where it's a drill where the quarterbacks are, are working on footwork and then they have to flip their body completely around 180 degrees and throw at a net. And this is in contrast to a clip of Anthony Richardson that was floating around on the same day where sort of a similar drill. It's footwork, footwork uh, up and down across the bags. And then he has to roll out and he throws on the run and hits this net right in the middle where the ball is supposed to hit in the pocket. And so it's like, oh, look at how good Anthony Richardson is throwing at practices. Look at how bad Will Levis is throwing. It's like, first of all, those two drills, what, what you're asking of the quarterback is completely different. When you're able to face the same direction, even if you're throwing on the run, it's way easier to lock into your target and, and throw an accurate ball. When you're flipping your body completely around, like Will Levis, his footwork was slightly off on this play. His plant foot was not quite down quite far enough. You know, it was kind of off his back foot a little bit, and he floated the ball a little over the net. I'm not making a big deal out of this, okay? First of all, some people were comparing it to, like, play action. Like, oh, your back's to the defense. This is like a play action drill. 
Well, not really, because in this drill, Will Levis has to completely flip around and throw the ball almost in one motion. On play action, yes, your back is to the defense, but part of the quarterback's drop is to turn and face the defense before he throws the ball. He has to read the field. He's not just flipping his hips and firing like in this drill. So number one, I'm not really sure what the point of this drill was for, for Levis. It's a footwork thing, right? It's about getting set quickly and throwing the ball. You know, maybe if you have a rusher in your face or if you have to change platform or something. And, uh, uh, you know, regardless of all everything I just said, this is a rookie in some of his first practices in the NFL. Are we really going to overreact to one bad day or one bad throw? I'm tired of it. I know everyone who listens to this show knows I have a very pro-Levis agenda that I'm pushing right now. And that's mostly about just like being excited because it's freaking June. And what else are we going to do? Are we going to get down on the team right now? Like why? What's the point? But ultimately, I just think everyone wants to overreact to everything we see. And this is a, just the latest example. And it's it's been annoying. It's frustrating to me. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's so silly. There was nothing there, in my opinion. Then you started seeing all these I, – I think Pro Football Talk wrote something on it because I think it was more Will Levis making a comment about it. Like, it just exploded, and it all seemed so unnecessary. It, it seemed like prime June, right? Like, that's June yeah. football content, right? Like, what are we going to write about? We got to talk about something. Oh, Will Levis had a bad day at practice. Like, I, I just I, Again, when it was one practice, and it might have been one throw or two throws, and – we didn't see the other two practices as you mentioned. So to me, this was a total non-story and I, I, it shouldn't have grown the legs that it did. Yeah. And, and there were reports, you know, from the people, the media members who were there that Levis struggled, you know, sort of throughout the day. But J Jim Wyatt wrote in his article that Levis had some pretty nice throws as well, mixed in with some inaccurate throws on the short to intermediate stuff. So look, he's a rookie. He's working through it. This year is probably not even a year for him to play. It's a year for him to improve and practice and get better and learn. So anyway, now that that's out of the way, we can talk about what we're looking for at OTAs. What I'm looking for is everyone to overreact to Will Levis' throat. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, I, I think it's going to be fun to see the competition uh, as these guys get in there with the full rosters because we kind of seen some clips floating around on Twitter and there's like numbers and players that you don't exactly recognize out there running against Ryan Tannehill and the ones and... It'll be nice to see like both sides of the team at full strength competing against each other and see how the position battle shake out. Because we know Peter Skaronsky is working at left guard with the ones, at left tackle with the twos. Will the Titans add another tackle sometime in the next week or so that can be there for these mandatory workouts? That'll be interesting to track. But is there any particular thing you're looking for or position battle you want to see uh, over the next week? Well, there, there's so many of them, in all honesty. I'll, I'll try to summarize as best I can. Some clear ones that I'm that I'm watching. You talked about Skaronsky working with second team at left tackle. I think that makes a lot of sense. So what does the rest of that team look like? I would assume you probably get Jamarco Jones at left guard in that scenario. I think Corey Levin probably at center. I would assume Jordan Roos at right guard, right? Some of these guys, like, again, like Levin and Roos, they've been here for a while. They've been with the twos. And then who's that right tackle? Is it Andrew Rupsich, a second-year UDFA from Culver Stockton? Where does Jalen Duncan play? Do you try to work him in at right tackle? Remember, he was a left tackle in college at Maryland. So I'm very curious to see how, especially if Skaronsky's wanting with the twos, where does that, does that put Duncan at third-team left tackle or is he second-team right tackle? That's very interesting to me. They got a, a, a UDFA tackle out of Boise State that I'm, I'm very curious about. Had some really good measurables, I believe was at the combine and tested well. And he was a, one of the bigger UDFA signings for them. So that's very, very intriguing to me, how they view the O-line, including the second team. I look at pass rush, right? Again, I'm expecting Harold Landry and Arden Key 
to be your starters at edge. Well, after that, there's some questions, right? I think Rashad Weaver's an obvious one. But where does Sam O work into as a second-year UDFA? They had a couple. Thomas Rush, did you realize this, this outside linebacker, this edge out of Minnesota, he got the most money out of any of the UDFAs they signed. He got nearly 200000 in guarantees. It's a lot of money. I think it was one seventy five exactly. And he signed a three-year UDFA deal. So where does he work into it, especially in relation to the other UDFA edge, Caleb Murphy out of Ferris State, guy that right. set the NCAA all-time record for sacks this past year was like, what was it, 25 and a half, I think? Yeah. Something silly. So where do those guys work in? Uh, and you'll notice these are all positions I'm purposely picking that don't have a ton of depth. Because I want to see how they view the guys they have. Safety's a big one I've discussed on this show, and I'll bring it up again. If Kevin Byard is there, which we're working under the assumption that he will be, it's him and Amani Hooker. Well, then again, is, uh, how does Elijah Molden work into that? It, uh, the, yeah. Does that transition to safety continue here a bit throughout mandatory minicamp? Who, who else is even there? They got a couple guys, veterans I've, I, I don't, I've never heard of, in all honesty. Then they've yeah. got a couple UDFAs, right? The kid out of Eastern Kentucky, Matthew Jackson, who's switching from linebacker to safety. They got a UDFA out of Boise State. I actually like quite a bit in Tyreek Jones. So mm-hmm. where do these guys, those guys work into it? You were about to bring up, there's a Hook'em guy, isn't there? There's a Texas guy there at safety that I think was with them towards the end of the year last. Is it Josh Thompson? Yeah, Josh Thompson. I mean, he's listed at DB on the roster right there now. So I don't know if, if he's working at safety or corner or nickel or, or all of the above. There's a guy I've never heard of named Mike Brown, who's a second-year guy out of Miami, Ohio. Um, but like, there's only four safeties even listed on the roster Uh and uh, it's weird because Amani Hooker is not one of them. You know, like some of these guys yeah, are listed exactly. as DB. It's weird. Do they have, but, um, do they have Tyreek Jones listed as a have, safety? And what they about do. Matthew Jackson? They do. Matthew Jackson is listed as a safety, yes. Um, Tyreek Jones listed as a safety. Mike Brown and Kevin Byard. Those are the four safeties. If you're talking DBs, they have uh, some guys I've never heard of. We know Shaheem Carter, but LJ Davis, um, who are you? Never heard of you. Um, Eric Garor a rookie out of Louisiana. Um, Amani Hooker is listed as DB. Chris Jackson is listed as a DB. Amani Marsh, another rookie out of Washington State. And then Josh Thompson. So that's that's the non-cornerback secondary. A couple of those guys, I think, were rookie minicamp invites that they ended up signing after their tryouts, I believe. Especially the Amani Marsh kid, I believe, is one of them. Uh, they got Stephen Jones out of App State. Might be listed at DB. He's a corner, uh, to my knowledge. We played a lot of the star position, I want to say, this past year at App State. Uh, but again, I mean, we're getting a little off track here. I think going back to those position battles, I'm picking those spots of the roster that I think need some TLC, right? And the, the, especially behind, again, Harold Landry, Arden Key, Kevin Byard, Amani Hooker, very obvious starters. I'm not so confident as to what's behind them. So that's yeah. really what I, I mean, well, receiver is such an obvious one. I mean, right? hang on to that point on the defense, like Shane Bowen spoke last week and they asked him about the competition. He said, we're trying to create competition at every spot. And I don't know if this was a slip up or if he meant to say this, but then he said, you know, not necessarily at the starting positions, but at a lot of our depth positions, we have lots of competition going on, which maybe it wasn't a slip up because it's obvious. We know that. Yeah. Like, I know Mike Vrabel probably didn't want him to reveal that regardless of how obvious it is, but um, well, like, yeah, those, so it, those four they guys, even admit like, it. <laughs> those four guys, uh, that's probably exactly who's coming to mind when he says that, right? Because it's like no one's pushing Harold Landry, Arden Key, um, Kevin Byard, and Imani Hooker for starting spots, right? Like, uh, regardless. And then, but those just happen to be positions where the depth behind them 
is almost non-existent in all honesty, right? But but hey, maybe maybe that's not the case, and I'm excited to find out, right? Because every year, right. couple of these guys emerge, right? Like we're gonna find out. There's a guy working with the one team, right? The first team defense, and we're like, what the heck? How did? Where did that come from? And that's yeah. going to be because either there's an absence or they're rewarding a guy for a great practice the day before, or he had a great rookie mini camp or met or voluntary OTAs. Like, or he's happen. just excelling in the meeting rooms and showing right. that he's like learned the playbook and knows where he's supposed to be and, and answering the right questions. I'm really curious to see where Harold Landry is in terms of his recovery from the torn ACL, because again, he wasn't at any of these voluntary OTAs. So we don't know where, what his status is. I'll be curious to see if he's out there during the team periods taking his spot as that starting edge or if he's still going to be sort of rehabbing off on his own on, on a side field or in a sand pit or something like that. That's a storyline worth tracking. I know he's expected to be fully ready by September, if not before that. Um, but how do these guys come back from toward ACLs? Like we've seen Bud Dupree have a really down year coming back. We've seen Taylor Lewan have an in and out of the lineup kind of year coming back from a torn ACL. And Harold Landry is a guy who, you know, his best trait is his speed off the edge, his ability to bend the corner and that's sort of a, a pure athleticism thing how's his knee gonna hold up when he tries to pull off those speed rush moves those dip moves so that's definitely something that i'm i'm watching closely because if he's looking really good now in june that bodes really well for his ability to be you know himself again when september comes around as opposed to having one of those like lost years where we you know you just have to wait until the season after the season after the torn acl to get back to yourself well, that, I'm glad you brought that up because he's what? He's about 10 months, maybe. We're moving to maybe nine, 10 months. So Yeah, it was uh, one of the last like days of training the, camp that he tore Yeah, it was ACL. one of the last days of, of, of August, wasn't it? Or, or yeah. was it July? August, right? I think August, yeah. Pretty sure it was August. So it was, it was so damn unfortunate. Um, he's about 10 months removed now. So you, you are very curious to see where nine really if it's end of August. So you are really curious to see where he's at. It's it's a bit early, right? Like, you know, you, you'd feel better. You got a better gauge on where he's at probably at the 11, 12 month mark. And you said the Titans haven't had good luck with that, right? T uh, Taylor Lewan, Bud Dupree to bring up Robert Woods coming over from the Rams after the tournament. They're 0 for 3 in all honesty, right? With guys coming back. We keep hearing about how modern day medicine and the ACL is not a big deal anymore. They're 0 for 3, Titans are with, with, with these, uh, you know, latest ACLs because all of those guys and, and Robert Woods, you know, obviously an older guy, uh, but all three of them did not have good years coming back from the ACL. Harold Landry, younger than all of them when it happened, more explosive than all of them. Although I, I wouldn't say Terry Lewan and Bud Dupree weren't explosive, right? They were, and they still try to, you know, Lewan's now involved in a legal battle, an alleged legal battle. Seems to have been something potentially, you know, or allegedly what could have gone wrong with that surgery. But very, very curious to see where Landry's at. Um, I was about to transition to receiver. I mean, that's such an obvious one. We don't have to go too much into it, but, you know, we're super excited about Traylon Burks. But the storyline for me there is how the rest of this rotation works out. Is it Traylon Burks, Nick Westbrook-Akine on the other side with uh, uh, Kyle Phillips in the slot? I think that's the most likely outcome. But where does Chris Moore work into that? Is he someone they can see challenging either one of those spots, whether he's challenging NWI or he's challenging Kyle Phillips? I'm curious to see how that plays out. And then beyond the three of them, am I missing something? Or beyond the four of them, excuse me, anybody's guess, right? Like, yeah. Racy McMath, this is such a huge, you know, mandatory camp for him. Where does Colton Dowell, I mean, he's a seventh-round rookie, where does he factor into that? They got three UDFA receivers at least, I, I, maybe more if they – I could remember who, if they signed anyone else Jacob after Jacob Copeland, Treshawn Harrison, Gavin Holmes, and Kiaris Jackson, oh. depending on where he's at with his health because I know there he was go. working through something. So Gavin Holmes was the one I couldn't remember because they signed him after – 
he was not a part of the original class of UDFA. So Jacob Copeland, I've heard he's done really well on special teams. So curious to see how he works into the rotation. You can read an exclusive interview with him right now on broadwaysportsmedia.com, by the way. Uh, nice. Trayshawn Harrison, Kiaris Jackson, where do they work into it? By the way, I mentioned Matthew Jackson earlier, the safety. We'll have another interview with him this week on broadwaysportsmedia.com. So that's another exclusive UDFA interview you'll be able to read later this week. And I've got some other stuff I'm really excited to tease um, as this show nice. goes on and as the month goes on. But uh, receiver is such a big one, right? How do we see that playing out? And I can't you wait got... to see how Vrabel sees it with the ones and twos. Yeah. Uh, two guys you didn't mention, Mason Kinsey, sort of a fan favorite and also a, a subject of a lot of fan hatred because of the fan favoritism that other fans <laughs> give him. Um, and then Reggie Robeson Jr., who was yep. looking pretty well, pretty good last year before he got injured himself. Um, so it's a, it's a, you know, sort of a crowded room full of guys that have done nothing in the NFL. Yep. I think a funny stat that was floating around Twitter is Mike Vrabel has more career touchdown receptions in his time as a linebacker than the entire Titans receiving core combined. So, um, that's where we're at with the with the receivers. Will they add somebody? Is DeAndre Hopkins in consideration? It seems like he's going to either follow the money or reunite with his former quarterback from Houston up in Cleveland now, Deshaun Watson. Um, so I'm really not expecting DeAndre Hopkins to be a Titan. You know when Julio Jones was like being being very openly on the trade block from Atlanta, we all had this sense, at least on this podcast we did, and a lot of Titans fans yeah. did, that Julio's coming to Nashville, and maybe it was the A.J. Brown video that gave us that hope or whatever, but that ended up happening, and it just felt like it was going to happen. Jadeveon Clowney just kind of felt like it was going to happen. Yeah. This does not feel like it's going to happen. I, I would be I shocked if DeAndre Hopkins ended up in Tennessee, and I don't know what else. You know, you, There's not like another free agent out there that would excite you that could join this roster at this point um, at, at the wide receiver position, so... If they add anybody, I'm looking. I'm thinking they add somebody at tackle because again, we still don't have a swing tackle that we're confident in at all on this roster. But um, yeah, I think wide receiver is a great one. I'm interested to see how the tight end reps shake out. I think you know Chigaquanco. If you watch the uh, mic'd up video the Titans put out of him at practice a couple weeks ago, he's in there breaking down huddles. You know, work on three, one, two, three, work and. And he's expected to be that guy this year. He said in his own press conference that he he knows his role. Somebody said, do you know what your role is going to be? He said, I know my role, and it's a big role. And so is it him? Is it Trevon Wesco that's getting the majority of those tight end snaps, you know, more as an inline blocker? And how much does Josh Wiley, how quickly can he earn the trust of this coaching staff to get in there and make some plays himself? I expect he'll probably be used a lot like Chig was last year. Whereas Chig will kind of take on more of an Austin Hooper role. And then you have Trevon Wesco in that Jeff Swain role. So I think I have an idea of how the three tight ends are going to be used, but it'll be interesting to see how those reps are split on the practice field this week. Absolutely. That, that's another big one, right? Because you really want to see Chig take such a big step forward in order for that to happen. The snap count has to reflect it, right? Like he, right. he didn't play a whole ton of snaps uh, in year one. You, you got to think this year, he's got to be above like 60% of offensive snaps, right? That's your hope. I can't remember what he was at last year, but I believe it was under, it was quite a bit under 50. So yeah. you, you got to take that step. You got to get him over 60% in order for him to have the impact he's going to have. Realistically, you can't say 70, 80. It's not how it works with tight ends. And I figure Trayvon Wesco is going to be very, very involved, at least 40 to 49%. I project for Wesco at the end of the year if he stays healthy. So uh, definitely curious to see how the tight end snaps play out uh, here at Volunteer, here at Mandatory Minicamp. Yeah, and and the last position we, I'm going to talk about here because everything else, you know, is kind of we're going to see how it shakes out and it's sort of more or less known how, how it probably will shake out. But the quarterbacks, you know, it's a big storyline just because of the position. 
Where is Malik Willis at in his development? Where is Will Levis at in terms of challenging Willis for that QB2 spot? How how good does Ryan Tannehill look? How healthy does Ryan Tannehill look? You know, by all accounts, Tannehill's been great throughout the offseason so far. So I don't think that the ankle surgery he had at the end of last year is really affecting him at all anymore. But I am interested in, in knowing what is where is Will Levis at? He's got to earn the trust of the coaching staff and prove that he deserves to be the QB2 over Malik Willis because... Maybe it's just coach speak and the time of year that it is, but Malik Willis has gotten a lot of praise from, you know, offensive coordinator Tim Kelly, from head coach Mike Vrabel so far throughout the offseason program. Uh, it seems that he's come back with, you know, and improved a lot since what we saw on the field late last year. So how do those reps split out? I mean, we know Mike Vrabel said that Levis was going to start as a third quarterback and you want them to make a guy earn his way up the depth chart. But if you want to really get into Will Levis, you should go to YouTube because we should have announced this at the top of the show. Maybe I'll add it in. Um, <laughs> we now have a YouTube page. The Music City Audible is available on YouTube. Just go to youtube.com slash at Music City Audible podcast. And you will find there a 31-minute film breakdown with Kentucky quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator Liam Cohen, who was Will Levis's position coach and coordinator during the 2021 season. He was not there last year, but he's back at Kentucky now. So that is his current title and his former title. And uh, we went through 10 of Willis's plays from games against Tennessee, Georgia, and Missouri, and looking at his ability to process reads, uh, read a defense, maneuver the pocket, have that toughness and that will to finish and win games, his leadership qualities, his ability to call plays in the huddle and, and adjust stuff at the line of scrimmage. So that thing got me pretty excited about Will Levis. And there's something about a former player's coach yeah. being so positively high on a player and just having so many good things to say about him. And, you know, there's a there's a bias caveat there that Cohen wants, you know, put out this, you know, he wants to be Help, helping Will Levis get good publicity so he can recruit the next quarterback and say, look what I did for this guy and, and yada, yada, yada. But regardless of that, you, you don't get on a Zoom with us and spend right. you know 45 minutes breaking down film. It's a 31-minute breakdown, but we talked to him for over 45 minutes that day um, if you don't really believe in this kid. Yes. And so I think that that, I mean, it's silly, but I think it means something just knowing how much his former coach believes in his ability to succeed in the NFL. So check well, out that film breakdown if you haven't had a chance. I can tell you how much it means because yeah, I'm glad you said it because I was going to say it because I've got a, you know, a lot more experience, I think, than you do when it comes to dealing with college coaches and yeah. things of that nature. And if, if they don't like a guy, they're not willing to go to bat for him. They're not going to take time out of their day to talk to you about him. They're, they're very busy year-round right. as is, right? So. Liam was very excited about setting aside that 45 minutes, that hour. And it was early in the morning, right? It was 8 a.m. was first thing he wanted to do that morning to hop on Zoom with us, go over the plays. And, and don't forget, before that, I had already done an interview with him on BroadwaySportsMedia.com that you can go read, a read only. So he has set a lot of time aside for you and I to talk about Will Levis. And he was very excited to do so. And you do not do that unless you're, you genuinely, genuinely like the kid, which he does. Yeah, and one other thing I want to talk about with Levis, at least in terms of comparing him to the other rookie quarterbacks, because that's just going to be a thing, you know, guys in the same draft class get compared. We've seen a lot of positive buzz about C.J. Stroud, about Bryce Young, about Anthony Richardson, and how well they're doing in practices, and how much command they've taken in. The Panthers are impressed with Bryce Young's leadership abilities, and C.J. Stroud looks amazing in Houston, and, you know, they said it was going to be a QB competition, but it sounds like Stroud is already locking up the QB1 spot there, and Anthony Richardson has gotten tons of hype uh, out in Colts practices, and we're not seeing any of the same press about Will Levis. 
Part of that is, you know, the Titans media market being a little bit, I think they're a little bit tougher, at least, and they get credit for nationally, but especially compared to like the indie QB market, like media market, who is just constant hype and positivity. Um, Even with this story about the gambling, I wonder how they're going to spin that one that came out right before we started recording. Um, Will Levis isn't working with the first team. He's not getting reps with the first team guys right now. Um, So you're not going to see that kind of buzz. He's not expected to be the starter this year. So you're not going to see that kind of hype. So if you're looking for those kinds of stories and wondering why you're seeing so much buzz about CJ Stroud throwing to Tank Dell at, at Texans practices and not seeing the same about Will Levis, it's mostly because he's not the, the starting quarterback and he's not going to be the starting quarterback this season. Like all three of those guys, you talk, they were top four picks. Like yeah. Carolina traded all the way up to number one. No, no shit, they were going to start whoever they drafted. Right. CJ Stroud, I mean, is a quarterback competition with who? Davis Mills? Like that's a joke. Anthony Richardson's got who Gardner Minshew standing in his way. Like none of those guys even come close to being as, as, as productive as Ryan Tannehill has in this league. So no. And, and, and that's why, I mean, one of them is a second round pick and the others were top, not only first round picks, top four, one, two, four overall. Yeah. I mean, and, and a top four pick is not only like the team is going to work to create positive buzz about that guy because they want the fan base to be excited. They want the team that is reading the press, even though they say they don't to be excited. So Anyway, I just wanted to address like a comparison angle there because you know these guys are going to get compared. Guys from the same draft class always get compared. But rounding it back, I am excited to see how these quarterbacks, you know, just how the reps shake out. So that'll be another storyline that we're tracking closely throughout these mandatory OTAs. Anything else you're looking for? I mean, there's an obvious, you know, knock on wood. Hopefully no one gets hurt. Like, we don't even have to say it, but I just did anyway. Um, Hopefully nobody gets hurt. But other than that, I feel like... We're just going to see what happens at these practices because we don't really, I mean, I don't even know how many are going to be open to the media. I'm expecting one because that's been the the way it's been this whole offseason. So we'll get one day's worth of reporting and two days of mystery, and we're going to have to wait until training camp and preseason to really see how these and, guys are. And we'll overreact to that one day of reporting, right? No like doubt about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that um, does it for me, man. I've got nothing else for you today. Uh, really excited to see how all this shakes out. I think when we record you know, next week's episode, We'll ha- hopefully have some answers to some of these questions that we raised, especially, you know, early look into some of the position battles that you and I brought up. And the Titans will be on the field again after this week, June 12th or 15th. Um, but that is an OTA workout. It's not the mandatory minicamp. So uh, that'll be it. You know, it's this week and then that ju- those June, those mid-June practices. And then it's summertime and there's no more practices until training camp. And they haven't even announced the training camp start date yet. So it'll probably be late July as usual. Um... But we only have a few more days of, of reacting to do here before we get into the really dead quiet period. So that is it. Thanks to everyone for listening. And check us out on YouTube. We're trying to get that subscriber count up. So if you're a fan of this show and you want to help us out, go to youtube.com slash at Music City Audible Podcast. Hit the subscribe button. Watch this show on YouTube if you want to see our facial expressions as we, you know, especially when I'm getting so hyped about Twitter, so angry and frustrated about people tweeting about Will Levis. You want to see that. You want to see our backgrounds. I mean, mine's probably a little more uh, filled out than yours, but, you know, you got some cool stuff back there, too. So, um, anyway, yeah, you, you can see... You can't see everything I got here, unfortunately, the room set up, but, but that photo is actually a pretty cool one. That, that's, a, that's a framed photo of every ticket stub to every Super Bowl ever. 
Wow. That is a uh, Marcus Mariota hel uh, autographed helmet there in the background as well. So nice. the angle you... of the room probably makes it look more bare than it is, unfortunately. But uh, some pretty cool stuff up here in the home office. And if you go to YouTube, you can see that my dog who has been sitting on my lap for the duration of this podcast. And he is a sweet little dachshund. And uh, you're going to want to check him out because he's the cutest thing. Yes, you are. You're so cute. Yes. All right, that'll do it. Thanks to everyone again for listening. You can follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. You can follow me at Titans Film Room. Again, youtube.com slash at Music City Audible Podcast. Thanks to Broadway Sports Media. Check out Broadway Sports Media. Check out the interviews Justin mentioned throughout this show. We'll be back next week to recap the mandatory minicamp and uh, see where we go for the summer because we're going to have to come up with some content to fill this time. But you know us. We'll do it. We'll be back. We'll be here every week for you guys. Um, that is it. All right, until next week. Y'all stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.